Please take your seats. Thank you. Thanks. Claudio Fredson's not only going to be at the 9-11, but he's also going to be here at the 7 next weekend. And as Gabriel was saying, if, if you've not heard of Claudio Fredson, he's one of the uh, foremost revivalists in uh, South America, especially in Argentina. And we've, we've had him here at KT before. If you've been with us for a while, uh, you'll know that uh, one of the times that we've taken the Royal Albert Hall, uh, he was one of the speakers that we brought to that. Does anybody remember the Royal Albert Hall with Claudio Fredson? Yeah. So that's the, what, that's the guy we're talking about. And so uh, we, we believe it's all part of God's plan. Um, we didn't know what would be happening when we invited it, when we invited him. Well, he was coming over uh, many, many months ago. And so we believe that he's going to bring something to help spark what God is doing, that he is a guest in season. So 9-11, great, but he'll have a lot more time at the 7 to impart the revival anointing that he's been moving in for many years. We're going to minister later on in the service some more, but if you have your Bibles with you, you might like to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We are preparing our hearts as God brings us into a new move of his spirit. And we're not rushing that move or determining what that move will be or won't be. We're not standing here saying we need to have a certain amount of charismatic activity to show it. It could be a very deep work of the heart that God is doing in our lives. And one of the things that our senior minister Colin was saying is that this is going to be a move of, of a deep work in our hearts by God. And that we are going to be meeting with God and seeking God for God alone. God alone. If the charismatic gifts are poured out, fantastic. Fantastic. But that won't stop us from seeking the Lord. And this passage speaks about how mankind lost the move of God that it was born into. And as we read this passage of how ma mankind lost the move of God, in it we'll see the seeds of how we receive the move of God that we lost in the Garden of Eden back in our lives. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that in that day you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam, in his, uh, uh, cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid 
because I was naked and I hid myself. This story is very profound. It's the fall of mankind. This isn't some, some ancient poetry. This is history. This really took place. This is a historical account of our father and mother genetically. Adam and Eve, the father and mother of all mankind from which we are all descended. This is historic. Someone says, oh, I don't believe that this is history, really. Or well, one of the greatest signs that this is history is just look at humankind. Just look at yourself and you'll see that you are fallen. If there'd been no fall of man, then why would we struggle so much with sin and failings in our lives? Paul puts it very well in Romans 7, which is as good, which is as, good as a person can be without the help of God. And uh, he says, you know, the law came and... The Lord showed me that what was good and what was bad, but the problem was the good that I wanted to do, I couldn't, and the bad that I didn't want to do, I did, and there was some principle at work within me that I just couldn't cope with. It wasn't even me that was doing it, it was sin in me. Now, in Romans 7, when Paul was saying it wasn't me that, when he says it's not I that am doing it, he wasn't saying you can't blame me, but what he was saying is that he, in his life, was sin-sick. Do you know that sin is a spiritual sickness? If you were to ask me what my definition of sin would be, uh, original sin, the sin, the first sin that plunged us all into sin, I would say this. I would say sin is a spiritual hereditary disease. You know what a physical hereditary disease is like, sickle cell anemia or something like that? It gets passed down genetically. Well, sin gets passed down spiritually. I don't know if we have spiritual genetics, but, but it, it, it's a good analogy. Genetically, from the moment that Adam and Eve, Eve fell, every human being that was born of Adam and Eve, that was at their line, was born with a spiritual defect. They were born with a spiritual hereditary disease called sin. They were born sinners. They didn't become sinners when they first sinned. They sinned because they were sinners. And this is what Paul is talking about, this, this principle. It's just like somebody with a hereditary disease will say, well, I have these symptoms. I can't help it. The symptoms of this hereditary disease, whether it, it, it is something like sickle cell or whether it's a malfunction or a malformation of some aspect of their life, they'll say, well, I couldn't help it. I was born this way. Well, we were born this way. And so when people say, oh, I don't believe that there was a fall of man, well, then I would say, well, if there is no fall, then we can live perfectly. There's no reason that we shouldn't live perfectly. There's no reason that, that we shouldn't be able to do all the things that we know that are good and resist all the things that are bad. There's no reason. If there's no fall, it's within our potential and our grasp to do it. Someone's bound to do it. But if you look at humankind today, even the best of humans, and of course, sometimes humans look very, very good but God knows what they're like on the inside. And uh, it, it is a trait of Phariseeism that you make yourself look, on the, look good on the outside, but Jesus says it's not what's going on the outside even sometimes. It's what's going on the inside. Sometimes it's only what the Father can see. I've always been saying in the Sermon on the Mount that true spirituality is not what people think of you or how you act in front of other people. I know it's important to love your neighbor. I know that's important. But true spirituality is what you're like when only the Father sees you. You're only as spiritual 
as the hidden things of your life. We're going to look at some hiding in a minute. And so this is a very important passage for self-understanding. Very important passage. When people ask, why is there so much suffering in the world? <laughs> Read chapter 3. When people ask, why is the world fallen? Well, why, why is the disease and earthquakes? Read chapter 3. If you want to know what the problem in the world is today, go to the bathroom and look in the mirror. It's you, it's me, it's the whole human race. But thank God, there was one that was born not of Adam. He was born of a virgin, not of the seed of Adam. He was the second Adam. He was, he was, he was born yet without sin. And all those that believe in Jesus, you become born again. You see, when you're born naturally, you're born of Adam. You're sin sick. But when you're born again, you become a new creation. All things pass away. And now you can begin to take control of your life by the Spirit of God. Now, in this passage, we see the famous story of the fall of man. And uh, I want to take you first to verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. You see, if we're going to understand what they lost, we have to understand what they had. And God had prepared this garden for mankind. It was a whole world, but God provided a garden for man. Now, what does that mean? A garden is very different to just a wilderness, isn't it? A garden, what, what is the difference between a garden and just going out into the wilderness? Well, a garden is tended, isn't it? So God created a garden that was tended and going to be tended by mankind. It was going to have the human touch. And he called it Eden. Does anybody know what the word Eden means? Pleasure. Pleasure. You see, pleasure, as God sees it, is not wrong. Pursuit of pleasure, God's pleasure, is not wrong. He even created the first pleasure garden. You think of all these places that you, you can go, you know, Disney World. I've been there a few times. And uh, Thorpe Park. And these like pleasure places where you go to have fun. Well, God created the ultimate pleasure park. And he called it pleasure. Eden. And it was there. Now, what was the greatest pleasure in Eden? Well, here. God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It was the perfect environment to experience God in fullness and openness. Openness, fellowship, friendship, love. Nothing needed to be covered. Nothing needed to be hidden. Everything was open. Everything was pure. Everything was beautiful. To walk, and we got this picture of God just walking in the garden. What a beautiful picture! Walking in the garden in the cool of the day, just relaxing, just enjoying himself. Have you ever had a really nice holiday somewhere warm? <laughs> and um, and if you've got a, if you've had a really nice holiday somewhere warm, and you're just out there in the breeze, maybe by the sea or somewhere. And you're just chilled out and you're relaxing. It's just, it's just so beautiful, isn't it? Nature can be so wonderful. Even in its fallen state, imagine what it must have been like then. And so the whole, the whole thing about the garden was relationship. 
and liberty and openness. There was nothing in the way of their relationship with God until they fell. Now, normally, before they ate of the tree, they would walk with God in the garden as well, in, in, in openness. But when the devil deceived them, and they took that apple or that fruit, all of a sudden, their eyes were opened. But that wasn't a good thing. Because when their eyes were opened, they lost their innocence. Do you know, innocence is a wonderful thing. Do you know that? Have you ever thought about the beauty of innocence? I think sometimes, I know, as I've already said, you're born sin-sick. So even in a young child, you, you can see the beauty of God's creator. Because even human beings, human beings still carry with them the broken image of God, don't they? I mean, they still carry in, in with them the attributes of God. It's just in a broken way. So humankind demonstrates the best of God and the worst of the devil. It can show you the wonders of love and righteousness, but it also can demonstrate selfishness and sin and evil, can't it? But sometimes when you're with a young child and uh, they demonstrate such innocence, it's precious, isn't it? And you sort of think, you know, people say, oh, I don't want them to grow old and lose their innocence and see what this world can really be like at its worst. Well, they lost their innocence and innocence was a wonderful thing because innocence is not naivety, but innocence is trust is openness and innocence is fearless because when you're innocent you really don't think that anything's out to get you you don't think anybody's out to harm you you think the best of everything you really do think that Disneyland is real you really do think that Mickey Mouse when he comes out and you take photos with him it really is Mickey Mouse you're innocent you, you, you're actually living in that world and it's a precious thing, isn't it? It's a precious thing. And so they lost their innocence. And uh, later on in the gospel, Jesus says, you know, I want you to be as innocent as doves. Wise as serpents. You know, we, we need to be wise. Not as that serpent, but a, a wisdom that can match the serpent of the enemy. Because he's very clever. But we don't have a wisdom of the enemy that is sensual, demonic. We have a wisdom that comes from, a God, from God that is pure. And so God wants to restore innocence. And part of the move of God that is coming to us is that our hearts can get innocent before the Lord. And that's going to take a cleansing and a moving and a healing. But it's also going to take a revealing of our hearts to God. It's going to take an openness. It's going to, it's going to be... Allowing God to shine his light in dark areas of our mind and thinking and hearts that perhaps we've not let him shine before. The closed areas. You see, we see that the uh, main manifestation of the fall was what? Hiddenness. Hidden. The main manifestation of the fall, when their eyes were open, they began to hide. It says... Then the eyes of them, verse 7, were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. What does that mean? It means immediately they began to cover themselves, hide themselves. 
Now, does this mean, and, and I need to correct this because some people still think this, does this mean that nudity is sinful between a man and a, a woman? Well, not between a husband and wife, is it? I mean, if, if, I, I don't know if there's any married people here today, but when you're married, you know, if, if, if you walk in on your wife, she says, ah, I'm naked, get out. I mean, or you get up in the morning and you're about to change, get your pajamas off and you go, do you mind going into the other room, please? Someone's trying to change. I mean, you're laughing because it's ridiculous because there's no shame in nakedness between a husband and a wife. Well, here's a husband and a wife. And yet they're naked and ashamed. So it wasn't that they were covering up themselves physically because somehow the physical body is something to be ashamed of. Of course, uh, you know, there is an appropriateness, but this is, this is husband and wife. There's no, one, there's, there's, there's no one else there. There's no human beings else there. So what was this covering? Well, people are pretty sure that they covered themselves because something was no longer covering them that was there a moment ago. And we're pretty sure that it was the glory of God. The glory of God. Because Adam and Eve were born into glory. They were completely filled with the Spirit perfectly. Do you know that? Human beings were born to be filled with the Spirit. We were created to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't sort of like a new plan by God on the day of Pentecost. Like, oh, I know what, let's, let's fill them with the Spirit. It was actually a restoration, but it went further than the restoration, of the place of the Spirit in the life of Adam and Eve. To be filled with the Spirit was a restoration of the filling of the Spirit of Adam and Eve. When they were born filled with the Spirit. When you're born, you're not filled with anything. You're not filled with the Spirit. You've got a fallen nature. You're not, filled, you're not even born again when you're physically born. Now, you say, well, how come we don't, when we're born again, when we're filled with the Spirit, how come we don't have a glorious body? Because your body's not saved yet. Your body's your weak link. It's the weakest link. It's like that game. What's the weakest link? Your spirit? No. Your spirit's the strongest link if you're born again. That's where the spirit dwells. Your spirit is perfect. We need to learn to walk in tune with our regenerated spirit. So your spirit's the strongest link. And then your soul, that's the next strongest or weakest link, whichever you want to say. Because your soul can rise to follow the spirit of God in your spirit. Or your soul can look downwards and follow the instincts and appetites of the body. And that's where the battleground is. The battleground is, are you going to walk in the spirit or are you going to walk according to the bodily instincts? And your body is not saved in any way, shape or form. Do you know that? Because if it was, it would be wonderful. You come to a church service, you'd get saved, and if you were a bloke, you'd walk out like Arnold Schwarzenegger, wouldn't you? In his prime. I've been born again, I can see it. Look at your body, you look great. But although you might look happier when you're born again, actually, you can be born again, but the longer you're born again, the older your body still gets. So your body is not saved until the day of resurrection. Thank God for signs that God's interested in the body and saving it. Healing is a sign, but you know, even, even those that are healed still die. Even Lazarus, who Jesus rose from the dead, still died. He's not alive today. It wasn't full. So your body is the weakest link. Not that your body is evil or sinful. 
it's just weak. It's just weak. And it's instincts is where sin tries to go through the body of sin. So your body's not evil at all. Your body is neutral. God, God sent Jesus in a body. Jesus went around healing people's bodies. Don't ever look at yourself and say, I'm evil, my body is evil. That, that's not Christianity. God loves your body so much, he's going to raise it from the dead. But your body is weak. Your body is weak. And so you're filled with the Spirit, like Adam and Eve were filled, but your body is yet to be glorified. And when your body is raised from the dead and glorified, you know, it, it, it's going to be even greater than Adam and Eve's ever was. You're going to be taken, because God doesn't just restore us to where Adam and Eve were. He takes us higher, takes us higher. And so they lost something, and they felt the need to cover up. They lost the glory of God. The glory had departed. And Colin's been speaking on the glory of God in the morning. And um, we sing songs, show us your glory. And what do we mean when we sing songs and pray, Lord, your glory, send your glory? Well, we're talking about the presence that they used to walk in unhindered in the Garden of Eden. It's, it's, it's the picture of this cool breeze, this wonderful time of fellowship with God in a wonderful, perfect environment where there's, where, where there's just perfect communion with God. So immediately they're covering up. Immediately they're hiding. You know, this move of God wants us to uncover that which we're covering before the Lord. It wants us to bring us into a place of openness, openness with God, and therefore increasing openness with one another. Now they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden and hid themselves, verse 8, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So we're seeking God's glory. We're realizing that we don't want to hide anymore. We want to come out of the darkness into the light. And they began to hide from God's presence. You see, before they fell, the Garden of Eden was wonderful. And they, and they could just enjoy the fruit. They were satisfied with the Garden of Pleasure. They were satisfied with God. They were satisfied with all the things that God had provided for them. There was just one tree, the fruit of, that they weren't to eat. And they saw that and they thought, that's what we need. That's what we're missing. And they took that fruit. And when they took that fruit, not only did they begin to hide from God and his presence, but they lost his presence. Now, what do you have today? People are still eating that fruit. Do you know that? It says that the fruit was pleasant to the eye and good for eating. The New Testament speaks about sin and talks about the lust of the eyes. In other words, there is a principle at work where in this world, there are many trees that we should not eat of. There are many trees, there are many fruits that we shouldn't go to for satisfaction. But you know, whilst we're being sanctified, I'm telling every single person in this place today and watching on TV and including myself, we're still eating some fruit that we shouldn't be eating. And the more we pursue the fruit that seems good to the eyes, but it's poison, seems pleasant, seems that it's going to satisfy, 
The more we eat of the fruit, the more it will cause us to hide from God, to sow fig leaves. And what does that mean in, in practice, the more we eat of this fruit? Well, I know it's a little bit simple, but let's put it this way. Sin, walking in sin, engaging in sinful practices and thoughts. When you engage in these things, do you get closer to the Lord or further away? I know it's ABC teaching tonight, isn't it? But the reason that we do that, and it's not always, you know, often in a Christian environment you talk about sin and people immediately jump to certain sexual sins or sins of drunkenness and, you know, the, the usual big evangelical sins. Well, I tell you what, there's a lot more subtle sins that are out there. And Jesus had more patience with the adulterers than he did with the Pharisees. He had more patience with the prostitutes. He had more patience with the tax gatherer than he did with the Pharisees who seemingly were holy, righteous, and religious. So the eating of the fruit is anything that causes your heart to begin to hide itself, begin to close itself off from God, and you begin to withdraw from the Holy Spirit, and you begin to withdraw from the Word of God. Now, you'd, you'd say, well, the Pharisees didn't withdraw from the Word of God. They knew the Word of God like anybody. No, they, they, they were stone cold to the Word of God. They knew it as a letter. They knew it as a law. But you see, the letter kills. It's the Spirit gives life. And without the Spirit and the working of the Spirit, the Word will do nothing for you at all in any way, shape, or form. I gave a sermon a few Sunday evenings ago, and it was on, this, on Paul when he spoke to the uh, Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3. And he said, I could not speak to you as spiritual, but as carnal, as babes. What does he mean, I could not speak to you as spiritual? Because they had closed themselves off from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. They were carnally minded. They were thinking that they, you see, the Corinthians were spending their times eating the very fruit that Adam and Eve ate. They were eating these. They were being satisfied with, with divisions and dissensions and idolatrous following of ministries and all manner of, of um, anything but the presence of the Lord and the openness in the Lord. And it's amazing. God knew what happened. I mean, he could have rained judgment down there and then. But even in his attitude, although he did judge them, even in his attitude, he was reaching out to them, wasn't he? They were hidden, hiding themselves in the trees of the God. Isn't it funny how people think they can hide themselves from God? Like backslidden Christians don't end up going to church. They, they think they can go off and forget. A, it's like, you know, the ostrich. The ostrich sees a herd of buffalo coming. And so what does it do? It panics. And it sticks its head in the ground. It goes, thank God. Thank God I can't see them anymore. Like it's got its head stuck in the ground so everything's all right. And Christians, not backslidden Christians, are like, well, I don't go to church anymore. Well, I don't do, but that's okay because... Uh, if, I don't go to, if I don't go to church, God will forget about me. He's watching you every moment you breathe. He's, 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 he's watching you whatever you do. 
He knows exactly. But isn't it wonderful here, even though he knew the cataclysmic decisions that had just been made, that wasn't just going to, hey, if it was going to affect Adam and Eve only, well, that's bad enough, isn't it? Create another Adam and Eve. Adam what? Adam 2, Eve 2. Mark 2, you know. But what had happened, we are experiencing, you and I, today, the results of. That's how cataclysmic this fall was. God, when this fall took place, thought, I'm going to have to go and die to sort this out on a cross, to reverse the curse. But despite all that, he walks and he calls them. And he says, where are you? And Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid. You see, the opposite of innocence, fear. When they were walking in innocence, there was nothing to fear. They didn't even know what fear was. They, did, they were just walking in the presence of the Father. Do you know, the Christian life can be summed up very, very simply. If you want to say, what is the Christian life? It's walking in trust with your heavenly Father. Walking in trust with your heavenly Father. That's what it, it's walking with your heavenly Father and believing he is who he said he would. I mean, the high point of the Sermon on the Mount, a whole chapter 6 and even parts of chapter 7 is all about your life with the Father, your prayer with the Father. Don't be anxious. The Father's there for you. The Father's there. The Father's there. The Father's there. Don't be like the Gentiles. The Father's there. Do your giving in private. It's the Father that sees. The Father, the Father, the Father. It's all about the Father. Walking with the Father. And if you want to walk with the Father, you have to become like an innocent child. Who gets? What attitude is great in the kingdom of God? What is the greatest attitude you can have in the kingdom of God? Childlike innocence and trusting your Father. And that's why... We need to go to children and to see that picture of innocence where the child trusts the parents unconditionally. Innocence. You know, the little boy grows up and the dad becomes the hero. My dad can't do any wrong. My dad's better than your dad. My dad, my dad, my dad, my dad. Changes the tune around 14, 15 normally. Why? Is it that they're losing their innocence? Their eyes are opened and maybe they see that their father's not everything that they believed him to be. But you know what? Our father in heaven is everything that we believe him to be according to his word. And the challenge for you and the challenge for me is simply, can we get back to the innocence of believing? Don't worry about your food or your clothes. Your father in heaven knows what you need. And if you being evil will give bread to your children, how much more will the Father give what you need for him? And so here in this passage, part of the move of God is a return to the Father heart of God. A Father heart of God. Trusting in the Father heart of God. And he says, where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself They'd sown leaves to hide themselves. They'd gone into the woods to hide themselves. There was this whole hiding. And sometimes not only do we hide from God, but we hide, one of the, you know, 
one of the biggest dangers that we have to face is that we hide from ourselves, that we deceive ourselves. That is a scary place to be. It is one of my often prayers to say, Lord, please keep me from self-deception. Because if you're self-deceived, you're finished. I mean, if, you, if you're self-deceived, you're not even going to be asking the questions, are you? I say, God, keep me from self-deceit. And in areas where I may be self-deceived, please shine your light into those areas. Or else I'll never know any better. I'll be walking thinking everything's all right. I'll be walking with a plank in my eye, looking at everybody's specs and saying, shame they couldn't see like I see. But thank God the Word of God is, according to Hebrews 4, two-edged. Two-edged. The Word of God, if you believe it and receive it, is living and active. Well, the Word of God is living and active. It's two-edged sword. It's a razor-sharp utensil in the hands of a master spiritual servant. But what does it cut? Well, it could cut. If it was a physical knife, it could cut between bone and marrow. It's that sharp. It can be that precise. But Hebrews 4 tells us that the Word of God, what it does is it reveals the intentions of the heart... And everything lies open and naked before God. So the Word of God, Hebrews 4 says, is a two-edged sword. It can cut through the rubbish of our minds. It can cut through carnality. It can cut through the leaves that we try to cover ourselves. It can cut through and reveal and lay bare. I remember when I first... Uh, read that and I thought, wow, I don't know if I want to like be laid spiritually naked before the Lord because it's a very vulnerable place to be. I think they felt very vulnerable when the glory of God lifted off them. They were vulnerable. So they made clothes perhaps not just to cover but perhaps to protect because they were fearful of, of what was going to happen. It takes a lot of trust in someone to become vulnerable. Isn't that right? You know, I think of, von we talk about vulnerable people. You know, we, we, people that are at risk, you know, that are vulnerable in different aspects. Maybe people who are disabled or something like that. Vulnerable. And when you look, when you look at somebody who's vulnerable, if you know any vulnerable people, you know, I know uh, vulnerable. And I look, at the, I look at somebody I know and I think, do you know what? You're so vulnerable. You're so, you're so vulnerable. You're in such a vulnerable situation that you're in. It's so good that in your situation, you've got people that you can trust. People that can look after you. Because without them, you wouldn't have a hope. Well, are we vulnerable enough to take off the fig leaves? Are we vulnerable enough to come out from the woods and to say, I want to go back to walking with you? I mean, we could go down the story a little bit, and we know that, that God addresses the fig leaves by taking the first animal, the first sacrifice, taking the skins, and covering Adam and Eve. And think about 
how that would have appalled Adam and Eve. Because they had spiritually died, and that was bad enough, but they were still physically alive. And they had never experienced death in any shape, way, or form. Because death came into the world through Adam. Okay? So they'd never... The idea... It's difficult for us because death is part of our experience. Although, let me say this. Death, in all its forms is the most unnatural thing in the world. That's why we find it hard to cope with death. Because it's unnatural, it shouldn't be. It's not part of God's plan, it's part of man's fall. And thank God one day there will be no more dying, no more crying, no more sickness, no more pain. These things will be wiped away. God will restore us. But in this, in this place... He took an animal, I mean, and then, he's, then he, he killed it. It must have, have shocked Adam and Eve to the core. First time they've ever seen blood. An animal dead, not moving. Imagine that. Imagine not knowing death. And then God takes an animal, kills it. It's the first time something's been physically killed. Skins it. How awful. They were vegetarians. It wasn't until it wasn't after, actually, the flood that people really began to eat meat because of the change in, in the atmosphere and the, and the dietary needs. And it was like, it was slain, blood. And then God says to them, here, wear the skin of this dead animal. I think I'd have thrown up many times. You think about it. If you put them in their place of lost innocence, a few moments ago they are innocent. Now they're wearing a dead animal. And that, of course, was a picture, and it's a picture for us tonight, that God needs to deal with the sin question. He can't just let it go, because he's God, he's holy, he's just. He can't just say it doesn't matter. It does matter. Your sin matters. I mean, we're outraged if we see some rapist or murderer get off on a technicality, because it does matter. We don't just say, oh, never mind. Don't do it again. It does matter. How much more? With an infinitely holy God. An infinitely holy God. So Jesus himself died on the cross. Carried your sin. So that anyone who believes in him will be free. You will be covered in the blood of the lamb, spiritually speaking. You will be cleansed by the blood of the lamb. And fit again to walk with the father. And so, where am I finishing now before we go into time of ministry? What I'm saying is this, is this picture of Eden and this picture of the garden is the place where we spiritually belong. And God is wanting in this move for us to move into a place of a new level of openness in his presence. Don't assume everything's right in your heart. You're saying, I, I don't assume it. I know it. Okay. Don't assume that God is putting his finger on what you think he's putting his finger on. Don't assume you know what the Lord's doing. Don't, don't assume that this is the area or that's the area that he wants to deal with. Don't assume. You'll be surprised what God often deals with first. We tend to get to a place in the Christian life, especially charismatics, that after a while we second guess, we assume we know what God wants to do. We assume we know what area of our life he's going to speak into. We assume we know the things that are wrong with us. 
and we know what we have to deal with and we assume that those must be the areas. Don't assume anything with God. He is who he is. He does what he does and his ways are not your ways. One of the most healthy things that you can tell yourself every day is his ways are not my ways. His ways. Sometimes I'm reading the Bible or I'm praying, I'm thinking, God, your ways are not my ways. Because I'm looking at stuff, I'd never do it like that. I wouldn't say it like that. In fact, what you're doing, I find offensive in the flesh. It's not nice. It's, it's not, it doesn't seem fair, but I just know that your ways are higher than my ways. And just because I say it's not fair, who the heck am I? You are Lord God Almighty. I will be who I will be when I will. I'll give mercy to whom I give mercy. That goes along with his glory. Colin was preaching this evening. Moses says, I want to see your glory. And the phrase that God came with God's glory was, I give mercy to whom I give mercy. In other words, I do whatever I want. And so in this new move, you can't come in pre-programmed. Oh, yeah, I was in the Toronto Blessing. Oh, yeah, well, I remember Pensacola. Oh, yeah, I've seen this before. I know what it is. I've been around here. Oh, I, I, I know what God's going to do in my life. Yeah, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, we'll have a prayer meetings and things and there'll be a this and that and the other and whatever. You, you've already missed it, the new move. Because the new move, if it's anything, is about what's going on in there. In the hidden place. In the hidden place. And it, it was hidden. Adam and Eve hid the hidden place. Not just what we consciously hide. Yes, those things need to be addressed. But even more importantly what we unconsciously hide, what we don't even know about ourselves. That's where we need God, where we think we understand, where we think we have perception, where we think we've worked it all out. God spoke to me about something recently, not audibly, but in his ways. And I was thinking about certain people and I was meditating and I was thinking do you know what they're so you know I was thinking you wouldn't know who they were and I was thinking you know they're just so blind it could be a Christian non-Christian I'm not saying but just, they're so blind yet they think that they see and I can see so clearly the blindness but they think that they can see and Jesus said about the Pharisees didn't he they said are you saying they said to Jesus you saying that we're blind and he said the problem is you say you can see. So I was thinking to, to myself, I wasn't judging these people, I was just saying they're just so blind. They think everything's fine, they think everything's all right. They think they see clearly. And I thought, you know, I have the privilege of being born again and everything, and so I can see things they can't see. And I was thinking that they think, they can, they think that they see. They think they're okay. They think there's nothing wrong. And the Lord says to me in his way, the way you think about them, I think about you. I thought, what? Said, you just com you're comparing them with you in your spirit-filled state. Well, what if God compares me <laughs> with his state? And I thought, my God, there am I looking at others saying, they think they can see, they think they can, they're clear, and they can't, they can't see it, they can't see it. They think it's all okay. They think they're walking in righteousness. They think it's all right. And God turns around and says, the way you see them is how I see you. And I thought, it must be true, because if it wasn't, I would have already arrived. And I thought, hmm, the new move has started. 
the new move has started in my life at least. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'm going to ask as we do this for the ministry team to come forward. It could be you're a guest or a visitor in this place today. And you're, you need to make your peace with God. We're all sons of Adam and Eve. All sons of Adam and Eve. But you can also get this fallen nature dealt with. Because if you believe, and it's just a simple belief in fact, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and took your sins so that you could be released, if you believe that he died on the cross for you and rose again, if you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, then you are saved, you are washed, you are free. You are born anew. You are translated from Adam into Christ. And now God wants to walk with you again. Not in some physical Garden of Eden. That, that, that will come one day. But spiritually, he wants to walk with you. He wants to commune with you. He wants unbroken relationship. He wants to bring light. He wants to take off the covers. He wants to pull you out of the darkness. He wants you to see. If you're in this place today and you're ready... To come to Christ for the first time, I want you to lift your hand right now and I'm going to pray for you. Upstairs and downstairs, you're ready. You say, I believe that, I'm ready to come to Christ. Lift your hand right now and I'll pray for you. I won't pray for anybody that keeps their hands down. He died on a cross physically, raised up for everybody to see. In his nakedness and shame so that you could be clothed with the anointing and forgiven. So if you're ready now to receive Christ, just lift your hand. Upstairs, downstairs, just that, lift your hand and you will be saying, yes, I receive you, Jesus. Anyone, I'm not going to, if you're not ready, you're not ready. But if you're ready, now's your time. You might not get another chance. Okay, what we're going to do the next 15 minutes or so is we're just going to, Worship the Lord, and we're going to come to him. And we're going to come to him in a conscious openness of spirit. And I do believe that the Holy Spirit said that when I, earlier to me that during this time and later on this evening and this week, that if we allow him, he's going to say some things to us that will surprise us. When was the last time... God spoke into your life and it surprised you. I'm not talking about, oh, that was just a great rhema word from the Bible about this, that, and the other. Oh, I just got in. I'm talking about into your personal life. When was the last time that God spoke a word to your heart and it surprised you? I just told you, with me, it was when he said, you see what you think about them who can't see? That's how I think about you. Come up higher. That was a word right into my heart. Bring in light. And during this time, the, the uh, ministry team are here, and you may want the laying of hands and an impartation. You may want a, something in particular to pray for, or you might just want to come. It's not the individuals, but it's the ordinance of laying on of hands, of impartation. It could be that, that during that laying on of hands, an impartation or a word will be released into your heart. It might be that you've come for something in particular, a healing, or so, and we're open for that as well, anything you want. But during this time... You have to consciously 
take off the leaves. You have to say to yourself, I will not assume that I understand myself, and I will not assume that I know what God's going to say to me. And I will release. Let's stand together. And I'm going to release. Stand up. Everyone up. I'm going to release the anointing of surprise. I've just made that up, but it'll do because it says what I You say, where's that in the gifts? It's the 10th gift of the Spirit. I'm only teasing you, but it, the anointing of surprise. The word of the Lord is fresh, clean, pure. The word of the Lord is not a recycled thinking of man. The word of the Lord comes direct from heaven. The word of the Lord releases. The word of the Lord heals. The word of the Lord brings light. The word of the Lord brings healing. The word of the Lord brings revelation. We don't want to be in a drought of the word of the Lord. We want God to speak into our lives tonight and this week. We are coming before you. Let's do it. We're coming before you now, Lord. And we're taking off the robes of the Pharisee. And we're saying, let the word of God search me and try me. See what's inside me. Make it known that I might be healed that I might move into your presence. Don't want to walk in rags in the Garden of Eden, Lord. We want to walk in openness and friendship and fellowship. God, deliver us from the darkness of our futile thinking. God, show us the planks in our eyes. God, speak those surprising words. God, we don't want to filter you through our own mental mythology or theology. We want to come in a fresh innocence as we worship you. And this week, the word is, be innocent before me. Be innocent before me. And he will be able to minister to us. Let's just do business with God as we worship him. And let's believe that the Anointing of surprising words is going to be released amongst us in these coming days for the heart move to walk again or to walk as we are intended in fellowship in the garden of pleasure where the pleasure is the relationship of the father with his child. If you want to come out for prayer.